Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sectors, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Karis Cotter. Karis Cotter is an award-winning children's writer, actor, and storyteller who has worked extensively in schools telling Newfoundland ghost stories and encouraging students to collect local ghost stories from their communities. In 2013, she published The Ghosts of Bacaloo, a book of traditional ghost stories by students from Tricon Elementary in Beta Verde. Her latest storytelling presentation, The Ghosts of Greats Cove, is an hour of ghost stories from one of the most haunted places in Newfoundland, Conception Bay North. Karis, welcome to the show. Hi, Dale. Thanks. I'm delighted that you've come in in the fog from Western Bay to yeah, have a chat. F- the fog and the rain. Yep. <laughs> well, we are, we're delighted. And it's perfect. You know, it's a perfect kind of day for ghosts. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get to the ghosts in a minute. But I, I wanted to, to start with just talking a little bit about um, writing and getting kids interested in history, because I know you've done some other work, you know, kind of uh, uh, in that field. How did you get started as a writer in this in this sort of direction because I know you trained as an actor yeah how did you make that transition into into writing and storytelling well I ended up I ended up being an editor a book editor Mm -hmm. and uh to make a living basically because you always got to have something else and uh I start I, I edited a lot of books and I ended up um then I started writing books and I had I wrote a book about Toronto between the wars which was a history book and um, and I did a lot of research for that, and I got interested in history. And then I, I talked to a publisher about what kind of children's books he might want me to write, and I came up with this idea of, well, I had a whole lot of ideas, of um, something that would be educational, multicultural, and went back through history, and um, that kids would be interested in. And at the time, my daughter was 12 or so, and she was crazy about kings and queens. And so I knew it was one of those sort of subjects like ghosts and dinosaurs and, you know, one of those sort of key subjects that that kids, kids they love it, yeah. So I thought, well, what about writing a book about kids who were kings and queens while they were still children and, and doing the research and finding out what their lives were like. So I did that and it was, and I took kings and queens throughout history from different parts of the world and, um, I published Kids Who Rule, which was my first kids book. And then to publicize it, I wanted to go around to schools and I had to get a presentation together. And I have a lot of experience with camps and, you know, playing games with kids. So I decided to play, to to write this quiz game um, called Rule Your School. And I divided them up into sections and each section was a different king or queen from my book. And I gave them a few facts, but then we had this trivia contest where they were guessing a lot. And I took some of the like really crazy subjects like how many pairs of underwear was King Tut buried with and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, stuff that appeals to kids. And then we just had this wild kind of free-for-all quiz game in school. And so they're learning about the kings and queens, but they're also competing, which they love. And the um, the winning team gets the rest. Everybody has to bow and kowtow and curtsy to them, which... Right, yeah. Which I teach them at the beginning because I arrive as Queen Elizabeth right, II. Right, I was going to say, you, yes. you come in costume, in character. I yeah. do. I come as our dear queen. And, um, and, <laughs> and the kids... And it's pretty, you're pretty good, I got to oh, say. Oh, well, yeah. thank you, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, you know. I got the wig and the dress, and, and I say I've got the gown, the crown, and the royal attitude. And the kids, like, they don't know. Like, they don't know you're supposed to stand up and bow to a queen. So I make them stand up, and I teach them to bow and curtsy 
and kowtows. So I've got all these kids lying on the floor with their faces in the rug. <laughs> and it's, you know, a great sense of power. But they have a lot of fun. And then they get, if they win, they, the rest, everybody has to do that for them. Right. So by the time I leave, they've got all these facts in their heads. They know these different kings and queens, but they don't know that they've been learning. They've just been having fun. Sure. So that's... And that's kind of the trick, isn't it? Like it is a trick, yeah, yeah to, to, to interest them in something. And then all these facts will come in, sort of creep in under the wire. Yeah. Getting them creative and uh, getting them involved. Yeah. To kind of make them start developing a curiosity about, about history. Yeah. yeah. And not just... See, the problem is I want to deliver a lot of facts, but it's so dry if you just stand up there and tell them stuff. So that's why I got the game going, so they can discover the facts in a different way. Yeah, there's this great story, and I don't know if it's a true story or if it's a fictional story, about Albert Einstein and a, and a mother coming to Einstein and saying, I want my child to be a great scientist. What do I, what do I need to do? And Einstein said, read your child fairy tales. And <laughs> I love it. And the woman said, oh, yeah, I understand. You know, I got to read my child fairy tales. But if I really want them to have a, a, a keen mind for science, what do mm-hmm. I do? And Einstein reportedly said, read your child more fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Because he, re- he, he knew that, you know, a good scientist was someone who was curious about the world. And I I think that extends to people who are interested in literature and, and culture and generally, you know, that sense of curiosity is what's really, really important. That sense of it's wonder true. and magic is really it's an true. important thing. Yeah. And, and the kids have it. They naturally have it. And you just have to sort of light the sparks and they're, they'll go with it. So you, uh, you moved to Western Bay. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did you discover Western Bay? Well, I was coming here. I had a lot of friends in Newfoundland and I was coming to that area just on as a tourist for a few years, renting cottages, and I, I fell in love with Conception Bay North. And little did I know that it was the most haunted place <laughs> in Newfoundland when I fell in love with it. So then I, I gradually got it together to get a little cottage there, and then I moved full-time so I could write there. Yeah. And how yeah. do you find being in Western Bay for your writing? It's fantastic. It's fantastic because I go out for these beautiful walks every morning by the lighthouse or to an abandoned community nearby and by the water. And it's just there's so much space for thinking, and, and it's just really quiet. So I really like it. And and you have an interest in, in ghosts, because you had written a, a book of uh, ghosts from around the world. Yes, a yeah. world full of ghosts. So yeah. tell me about that project. Well, I was interested in ghosts on a lot of different levels, and I had different projects sort of on the go. But one of the things I ended up doing was with this multicultural kind of interest, because I was writing in Toronto, um, I I started looking at ghosts around the world, and I was interested in them anyway. And so I did the research, and then we got an artist from Quebec, Marc Mongo, to to illustrate it. And it was really interesting because I see ghost stories as a way into culture for kids, and this was an idea to introduce them to other cultures through the ghosts. And again, it's going in the back door because they'll, they're always interested in ghosts, but what, the ghosts always say something about the culture. Yeah. So when they have these stone ghosts in this this little island in um, the Pacific, it, they, these ghosts that are stones, and that if you if your shadow if the shadow falls on you, you you die. You know that says a lot about their culture, and and it just it gives you a uh, window into how other people think and what they believe in. And you developed a, a school program around this book as well, where you I would did. where you would go in as I, one of these spirits. <laughs> yeah, my acting abilities <laughs> came into college. You're, yes, you're I not was not one to hide behind the page. You're always no, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, you want to grab them as soon as you go in the classroom. You know, you, in the first five minutes, you want to grab them. So, 
um, the Silky Ghost is this Scottish gold ghost who's just outrageous, her accent. And she's got all these <laughs> fluttery kind of veils and things. And she goes and cleans up people's houses while they're asleep. I need a ghost like that. We all do, Dale. We all do. I need a ghost like that. But anyway, she, um, I picked her because she wasn't really scary and she was really funny for the little kids because I was doing it for grade three. But that gets them into it. And then I, I do another game with them with the globe where they look at ghosts around the world. And then I, I always end up telling Newfoundland ghost stories at the end. Yeah. So this all kind of then fed into that uh, Ghost of Bacaloo project yes. where you were getting kids kind of researching stories in their community. How did that program come about? Well, I I wanted, I was looking for ghost stories and I know I talked to you over the years about, you know, how to get people to tell you ghost stories yeah. and where do you find them? And I went to different places looking for them. I never had a lot of luck from, you know, being from away and and I, 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 I found a few. But when I was in schools, I... Um, I, I think that it, I was working in schools anyway. So then I thought, well, I'll, I'll go in with an Art Smarts project and get the kids to see if they can find any ghost stories from their parents and the community. Because everybody, a lot of people I spoke to kept saying, well, there's no ghost stories left in Newfoundland. You know, if only you could have talked to so-and-so who died last week. And, you know, he could have told you so <laughs> many. familiar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the kids, the kids brought in all these wonderful stories from and and then they wrote them and then we and we edited them and I taught them a bit about publishing and then we actually published our own little book. Yeah. So they they went on a kind of a journey with that from the storytelling to the publishing. So maybe we can break that down a little bit. Uh, the the Art Smarts program is a, it's a it's a project that's funded funded through the Arts Council and the Department of Education. That's and, right. And it allows a professional artist to go into a school. Right. So it's not like you're coming in for an afternoon and then leaving. No. You're actually in the classroom over a period of time. Yeah. It was twelve days altogether for the Ghosts of Bacaloo and a lot of time outside that I spent working on it. But twelve days, and I would go in and. I had each day planned where we started off with the storytelling and the kids would all tell me the stories that they'd collected and then we did the writing and then we did the editing we had an editing workshop and then there was the great part about it was designing the cover because we did art and the kids designed all these different covers which were amazing and we ended up having a display of that in the school afterwards so uh, it just and then finally we published the book. But it, it was a lot of work on my, on my part outside of the project just to get the book Pulling published. Because, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what tips or tricks did you teach the kids about collecting the stories? Well, all I did was, all I did was I sent this home. Like I, I did my ghost presentation to get them interested. And then I sent home a, a sheet of paper that just said, fill this in, you know, like ask your mother or your grandmother and tell us where the story happened, who told it, and, you know, and then they just told the story. So it didn't, it, it's like the stories were just there, yeah. you know, like waiting to be told. That's a great thing about doing things in rural Newfoundland. Like the stories know. are still alive. They yeah. really are. And, and, and then, and these kids, and, and I got, I'd sometimes get the same story told in different ways, which was really interesting. Yeah. And, and what age group were these students? These students were, well, we, we did it from kindergarten to grade six. So the little kids put in pictures of ghosts that they drew, and the older kids did the stories from grade three up. So that's about eight to 12. Yeah, about that. 
Um, and how many how many students? There were about a hundred in the school. That's a big that's a big group to work with. It yeah. was it was it was like down to the wire, and the ki- and the teachers did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the teachers did a lot when I wasn't there, like getting the kids to write them and sure. put them into the computer. But yeah, it was pretty intense. And I, I actually did I did this similar thing with um, uh, the collegiate with grade nine students last year in Bacaloo Collegiate in Old Perlican. And that was a very different experience, but they bought in all kinds of great stories, too. So how, how was it different? It was different that we didn't publish a book, yeah. because that part of it, it doesn't really fit very well into the art smarts. It's, um, it's something sort of that happened after. So we, we just, we had the storytelling, and I gave them some voice workshops and storytelling workshops, and then we did the writing, and I, I worked individually with them on their storytelling and their writing and then at the end they all stood up and presented the stories to the rest of the um to all the grade nines two classes and it was just it was great because so many of them were shy at the beginning and we had to kind of coach them and get them to speak up a bit and there was a lot they really came a long way from the beginning to the end and and they it took they were like a lot harder (laughs) to relate to (laughs) right up first than the little kids because they're like in grade nine they're not as uh, they're, they're holding everything back yeah you don't want to you don't want to put yourself out there when you're in grade nine no yeah. and and i'm doing all my shtick and you know <laughs> carrying on and telling the ghost stories but we had some good we had some good times and and uh it ended up being a really successful project what kind of stories did did students come back with well, so many, like really old stories, which is what I liked. They had stories, you know, of like because of that area, there's this barrens between Old Perlican and Beta Verde, and people would walk. And so there were a few stories about the barrens and, you know, meeting strange figures on the barrens. And um, then there were a lot of like um, ocean stories, like ghost ships and, um, you know, shipwrecks and you know blueberry pickers that got lost or people who fell down wells and then there was this these wonderful stories about the bridge like I know you know like bridge stories where you go over a bridge and then they hear this these chains rattling and these dogs barking and (laughs) and the kids told me they told two or three people told me this one about the bridge in Old Perlican and then some came up to me after and said you know I had this terrible experience crossing that bridge myself you know and they told me this really spooky thing that happened to them so they're definitely alive but they they go way, way, way back. Yeah. yeah. And it got these kids out talking to their parents and grandparents and neighbors. Yeah. And-, and, and I can't help wondering, would their parents have told them those stories if they hadn't gone home with my piece of paper yeah. or their grandmother? Because some of them, you know, some of them, I know they hadn't heard, the kids hadn't heard the stories before. Right. So it, it gets those kids kind of interested in their own culture and history in a way that maybe they weren't before. I think so. I think it could. Yeah, I think it. I think it does. And if somebody like me is standing up there and saying, "Look, this is important, and this is fun, and and uh, this," te- and also I'd also try to tie it in with what does it tell you about the way people lived? Like, if there's no electricity, or if people had to walk, and there was, or there was no road, and they had to go by boat. Like every every story has something in it that's about history. And so I I, I called them culture clues for the grade nines and tried to get them thinking about what what you know. 
how it reflected the, their own the history of Newfoundland and yeah, how like, people I, used to live. Culture clues. I like that. Culture clues. Yeah. <laughs> I might steal that at some point. Oh, go right ahead, Dale. You know, I've stolen things from you. So <laughs> <laughs> part of the creative process, you know. Yeah. Um, so you produced with the first project, the Backloo Ghosts, uh, the Ghosts of Backloo. You produced the booklet, and then did you have a launch? Did you uh, did you launch it in the school? Oh, it was wonderful. We had they they decorated the. It was in um, May, I think, and they decorated the gym like it was Halloween with all their ghosts and everything. And then the parents came, and they had little little plastic glass with juice in it for like wine glasses and it was this book launch and kids read from it they read stories that they'd written and um and it was it was really nice it was kind of a community thing there were quite a few parents there and my goodness we sold 80 books like because that was part of the project that the the school would sell some books and I would sell some books and of course the parents you know you have to buy a book or two. Yeah, right? when it's your and and but now they've got those stories there, right, written down, which yeah. I think was I wanted to, I wanted that's what I really wanted to have them written down like that. So the grade nine project feels somewhat incomplete because we didn't. I only have the stories that they wrote. I don't have them collected in one place. Yeah. But that might happen later on. You know, I don't know. Did 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 something um, surprise you in the information that you collected? Is there something that you learned or? About, didn't know about the community or the the area about about the ghosts. Yeah. Well, Jesus, just about everything surprised me <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I guess I guess one I think it surprised me that that these stories were still there and that they were being handed down and then they were being told and but like for me a lot of it is new like when they talk about working in a stage and with the fish there was one really scary ghost story about a stage in um, Beta Verde I think. And the floor opening up and then the hole disappearing and like that kind of stuff about the fishery that I had no idea. Like it really, like kind of the hard, the way life was so hard, that comes across in the ghost stories. Yeah. Um, just in their day-to-day facts about, you know, how early they had to get up and how long they were out and the bad weather. So I was surprised by a lot of things in it. Were the, were the stories short little anecdotes? Were some of them full narratives? Or was, was it a bit of a variety? There was, yeah. Some were longer. Some were shorter and some were longer. And it depended on the kid, really, how much they wanted to write. Yeah. And, of course, some of them made up their own stories. that were, And a lot of those were like zombie stories and, <laughs> and murders. And, but some of them had elements like there's people on the beach, like elements of sort of classic Newfoundland stories, like a figure appearing on the beach and then disappearing and, and an old woman, you know, or, or a ghost dog. Like they had – it was really interesting to see those stories too that they made up from nothing. Yeah. Was there a particular story that, that – kind of stuck with you creep you out or um oh, I, I get scared by all of them basically. do you really <laughs> oh yeah no i'm a chicken <laughs> i'm a total chicken um i think let's see i think i think the ghost on the gander was the one that was it was scary um i mean they all were scary but and i like i really like the ghost ships but the ghost on the gander was about a, a boy who was quite young maybe 17 or so and he went to work in the um the lumber you know in the forest near gander cutting lumber and he had to leave his mother who was quite sick and um it was the first time he'd been away from home and he was in lying in his cot or his bunk bed and he 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 saw his mother walking into the room and standing at the end of his bed and you know he jumped up and he looked at her and she was there as clear as day and then uh and then he looked away and she was gone and he asked his bunk mates and nobody'd seen her and then the next day he got this telegram that his mother had died back home and he had to go home and she you know 
she'd been a widow and he had to go home and look after the kids and and it was one of those token ghost yeah. stories but it was really it was really touching because of the the you know the situation and the hardships that 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 and this was somebody's grandfather that it happened to right yeah i'm i'm always fascinated by token stories yeah. because it really is a firm part of ghost lore in in Newfoundland and Labrador yeah and people tell me ghost stories often, and and I think the type of story I hear more often than any other is is the token story where someone gets this premonition or warning that someone yeah. has just died or is about to die. Yeah, and I think it says a lot about the the closeness of family and the role of community in in especially in rural Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that these stories do contain truths about the way that people were connected. Um, so I'm always fascinated by by the token stories because I don't I don't know if they exist in quite the same proliferance in in other places. I know in Ca- in Cape Breton they have this tremendous tradition of what they call forerunner stories, which are very very similar to token, token. stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I know when I'm talking about ghosts, like I I read that you know tokens are the most common ghost. Yeah, and if you're going to see one, that's going to or experience one, that's going to be the kind you experience. And yeah, I find them very touching too because they're. Uh, the people who've seen them are so, they're so convinced they saw them. And it's such a real, and it's such a dramatic experience too. Mm-hmm. Part of the grief process, I think, yeah. really. Yeah. You've been working on this new newer project, Ghosts of Greats Cove. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, this kind of happened, I mean, because I've been collecting all these stories now for a few years and um, telling some of them regularly in schools. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, I was up at Greats Cove Studios, this great little restaurant in Greats Cove, and they they were looking for entertainment, and and so I said, well, I should come and tell. I foolishly said I should come and tell you my ghost <laughs> stories. And they said sure, and the next thing I knew, I had to write a show because I had you know four four or five ghost stories, but not enough for a whole show. So I took the stories from the area, and then I wrote them in my own words in my own way, of, and I you know I added things to them to make yeah. them dramatic. So it's basically, it's, there's stories from the ocean and stories from the barrens, from Greats Cove, Bay de Verde, um, just that general area, and Conception Bay North. And I talk about the old hollies and the jackie lanterns, which are very common ghosts up there. Yeah. And then I tell my own ghost story, something really scary that happened to me on the barrens, and uh, really scary. And <laughs> well, you can't just tease us. <laughs> Well, it's kind of long going through the whole thing, but <laughs> basically, I go to this wonderful guy named Brian Walsh who tells me ghost stories in Vedaford, and and I when I leave at night after he and his wife have you know given me dinner and then told me stories for a couple of hours, I have to drive in the dark through the barrens, and it's so dark, it's black, 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 and so I, I I'm always nervous. But this one time, as soon as I got in my car, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see; it was all black, and. I was sure there was somebody in the seat beside me. I was convinced. And so I couldn't see. So I turned on the, the light light and looked. And uh, there was nobody there, of course. So I started driving. You know, I turned off the light. I started driving out of Betaford. I got up on the barrens where it's just, just like going into ink. And I was driving. And then I got this really scary feeling that there was somebody there. Like, I was convinced. And I kept saying, you know, it's my imagination. You're being foolish. But it just got worse and worse. I was absolutely terrified. And then I had this picture in my mind of this hand in a black glove reaching out and grabbing the steering wheel. And it was so clear. 
but you know I knew it was in my mind because I couldn't see anything and so then I pulled over the car I turn on the light and I look and there's nothing there just me and my my imagination which is really overheated at the moment so so then I, I drove all the way home it's a 40 minute drive all across the barrens and down the road with my inside light on in the car and knowing that that was not a very safe way to drive but knowing that it was infinitely safer than driving with an invisible person beside me with their hand on the wheel. It was just, you know, like you can just get really carried away. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great story. Uh, you, you were talking about these culture clues, about people will tell stories yeah. and you can kind of extrapolate or, yeah. or move from that into aspects of culture. And you just you just used two phrases, um, Hollies and yeah. Jackie Lanterns. And yeah. when we talk to Newfoundland audiences... Uh, some people will know what those things mean. Yeah. They mean slightly different things. Yes. Um, can you explain what the Hollies are? Well, well, I've heard them called the old Hollies. And what it is is, um, you know, in Conception Bay, there's hundreds of people who've drowned in shipwrecks. And they say that on a windy night, when you can hear the wind starts to sort of howl around your house, that if you listen really carefully, that it sometimes it sounds like screams. And the screams are these people dying in agony, people drowning in Conception Bay. And um, they've, they say that if you hear this awful sound, that there's going to be a terrible storm. It's a sign of a storm if that, you hear that real screaming in the wind. And there's been many famous shipwrecks in Northern Bay Sands. They've heard mm-hmm. them, Bay de Verde and Great's Cove, Old Perlican. People, a lot of people have heard them. And they're kind of almost demonic, these voices on the wind. Yeah. So that's the old Hollies. And it, it is almost a regional phrase because I, you yeah. know, I, I hear it in Conception Bay. Uh-huh. I hear that phrase yeah, in Conception the Bay, the Hollies. But I, you don't hear it that often in other places. But now Jackie Lantern is, is a phrase that we do hear uh, across the province. In, in Conception Bay North, what, are, what is the Jackie Lantern? Well, it's... It's, it's because it's not. It's not the Jack O' Lantern no, that we're familiar with. From it's Halloween. not a pumpkin. No, no it's, not a, it's pumpkin. not a pumpkin. What it is is, um, from the stories I've heard, it's that you see lights dancing out over the ocean, and it looks like there's a man carrying a lantern, and it's just swinging back and forth like bobbing, and and you people see them quite often. And I actually heard a story just a couple of weeks ago about a guy who saw them right behind my house. And he said they looked like little helicopters, and they were spinning and twirling up above this hill called Dogberry Hill, and they they sort of flew up over the hill and then went down into the water and danced along the water. So um, I think people see them over marshes too. Yeah. But mostly in Conception Bay, I think it's over the water. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, my uh, late father-in-law was who was from Riverhead Brigus. Yeah. Um, he saw one as a young man. Uh, yeah. And he described it as a little ball of light that uh, kind of uh, hopped over a fence and bobbed down the road. He, wow. he and a buddy of his, when he was young, they saw the, the Jackie Lantern. Yeah. And, I, and I asked him, I said, what, is that, what did it look like? And he said, oh, it was a little fella. And I just, in my head, I thought that meant that it looked like a little person. But he went on to say, no, it was a, a kind of a ball of light. And then I found out much later that little fella is one of these kind of West Country England phrases uh-huh. for the fairies. Oh really? So, yeah, Very so it's, interesting. It's, it is interesting. So yeah. the, and and I find that um, that the jackie lantern stories they're almost kind of halfway between ghost stories and fairy stories because yeah. sometimes they're kind of related to the fairy world and sometimes they're the spirits of the departed. You know, they, so it's, yeah, they do have a very fairy-like quality, and the thing about them spinning and flying yeah. up over the hill and leading people astray sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
you are working on a new project. We're getting close to the end of our time, but I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the Fairyland project that you're working yeah, on. Yeah, it's called The Fairyland Visitor, A Mysterious Tale. And it's a, it's a quite a well-known ghost story of, um, of Jerry Squires, the artist, and his family lived in the Fairyland Lighthouse in the 70s. We had Marnie Parsons from uh, Running the Go oh, Press. Right. So she was talking about the book uh, publishing side of it. But maybe yeah. you could let us in a little bit. Give us a, a sneak uh, peek at the story. The story. Well, it was one of these stories that where a lot of people see the same ghost. Mm-hmm. And it was basically a visitor who came to their house and talked and looked like a regular person. And then after they la- he left, they found out that he was someone who had died 20 years ago. And it was, it was, they said it wasn't spooky, but it's spooky in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, um, yeah, it's a really good story. Esther Squires told it to me and she was a little girl of seven at the time and very susceptible to ghosts and things. So it made a big impression on her. Yeah. And so you've worked with the family and... and yeah, I've, I've got the story from Esther and I yeah. got it from Jerry. And of course, when I wrote it, I wrote my own version of it. So some things that are you know, not exactly the same, but the basic story is the same. Yeah. And they were all happy with it. They read it and they, they said, yeah, this is, this is a really good representation of what happened. Now, if people want more information about you and your, your writing, how can, they, how can they find you? They can find me online, my website, which is www.karascotter.ca. And Karis is spelled? C-H-A-R-I-S, Cotter, C-O-T-T-E-R. Dot .ca. Yeah. So people go there. And do you have a Facebook uh, I have fan Facebook. page as well? I've got, yeah, I've got for my, my novel, The Swallow a Ghost Story, that's a fan page. And I've also got another Karis Cotter author fan page on Facebook. I feel like we could just go on and on forever talking about ghost stories. Okay, that's fine with me. But our time, our time <laughs> is coming to an end. It's always a delight to have a chat with you. Thanks. Yeah, Likewise. It's, it's nice to meet a kindred spirit. Absolutely. You know, to, spirit loves. being the, the, operative <laughs> the operative word. word. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Dale. I'm Dale Jarvis. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening.